0: Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the Back of the Range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 293. Another week on the road, followed by just a couple days at home, And yes, back out on the road where the college golf season is in full swing as we rapidly make our way towards the postseason. I just got back from the Johnny-O at Sea Island, saw some great golf and also lots of different types of weather. Pretty incredible how Sea Island can go from warm to cold at the drop of a hat. I'll be back there this summer for the Sea Island Women's Amateur in July, definitely looking forward to some warmer weather when I get back out there on the island. As I said, I'm heading out tomorrow to another collegiate tournament. This time, it is back to Reynolds Lake Oconee in Eatonton, Georgia, for the Linger Longer Invitational. Lots of great teams in the field. Alabama, South Florida, they're just coming off a win. Arkansas, Georgia Tech, the defending team champions and co-host, Georgia. And returning is the number one team in the country, Vanderbilt. Big-time teams playing basically in one of the biggest tournaments left on their schedules before they go into their respective conference championships. I'll be covering the event from beginning to end. Make sure you are following Linger Longer Invitational on Instagram, or as always, head on over to thebackoftherange.com. My guest on this episode is Jason Payne. He's the head coach of the Mercer Bears and another one of the co-hosts of the Linger Longer Invitational this week. Jason's career in the game has taken him to several spots after he graduated from the University of Georgia. He was an assistant under Coach Chris Hack. He then made a coaching stint at Georgia Southern and finally Charleston Southern, where he won 2021 Big South Coach of the Year. He's back at Mercer for his second stint as their head coach. He's had his hand in the fundraising aspect of college golf. He also has a podcast, so we spoke about any given Tuesday, which is his podcast and social media presence, which allows him to have some fun with all those aspects of college golf that you really don't hear a lot about, like lunches and driving the van and all the other things that happen behind the scenes. Painter has his hands in everything. And what's really great about him, and you'll figure this out real quick, he likes to have fun. He wants his players to have fun. That's exactly what he's putting into the program at Mercer and he says it in this episode, you got to really be paying attention, but he says he's never met a stranger and that's coach Payne. So thrilled to have him on this podcast episode, really excited to see him at Lake Oconee. Let's get this episode started painter. Welcome to the back of the range. How are you?
1: Oh, Ben, thanks. It's you know been a busy spring. It's great to, uh, get you out from behind the camera and be able to chat for a little bit. And, uh, I couldn't be, uh thankful enough for you having myself as a guest i'm i'm humbled i'm honored man
0: well i'm i'm thrilled you're having time to 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 join me i know that we are both super busy and uh i'm recording this from my remote studio at the Hampton Inn at uh, Sea Island i know it's it's luxurious and everyone wishes they could be at Sea Island this time of year but uh yeah the like you said the spring is is crazy and uh yeah making this kind of final push towards the end of the spring, which means postseason. We have so much, <laughs> the entire day I've been thinking to myself, how do we keep this conversation on a, <laughs> a coherent path because of all the things we can talk about? Let's start here. Presently, you are the head coach of the Mercer Bears. Talk to me a little bit about just your team this season, where you're at, kind of what your goals are maybe for the next few weeks. As uh, as you kind of get ready for postseason?
1: Well, man, you know, with the squad, it, you know, obviously March Madness is here. So I think the goal for the next few weeks is, you know, survive in advance. It's, it's a busy time of year, but we've got a great squad nine guys, nine great guys that are both, you know, not only great athletes, great students. Um, we're made up with some good old Georgia boys. We've got a few Floridians and three Swedes. So I love, uh, it. I love it. You know, we, we can at least break into you know with nine guys you know we can have three 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 and the three swedes could be together we were actually over at sage valley um this past tuesday wednesday and when you get to play the par three at night or enter the day um they were breaking into three teams of three and the three swedes were together so they had the international contingent was was strong and they were sticking together um but obviously you know the team's led by tobias johnson who got his uh Let's see, his third win of the year yeah. this past Tuesday over at Palmetto. I'm, I'm not sure if anybody else has three wins in, in Division One, but uh, he's really had another great year. And um, as you know, Ben, this is my second year back at Mercer. I actually signed him at Charleston Southern as a transfer from Young Harris, and I was fortunate enough that the timing worked out that we were able to give him a scholarship offer here to Mercer and bring him – uh, to Mercer because he's had a tremendous career in just playing in 17 events at Mercer. Ben, how about that? 17 events. He's finished in the top five 12 times Good grief. with four of those being a win and, and in another, uh, probably four of them being second places. And even, even last a couple weeks ago down at Wexford, he finished third, but he had an eight on a par four in the second round and he said he's never played better and was cruising along, leading the tournament, had an eight on his 28th hole of the day. And he said, he said his neck froze up on him. He couldn't swing. So for nine holes, he was just dragging his bag around trying to just get the ball in the air. It was kind of weird. I thought he was going to have to withdraw, but he toughed it out and, um, ended up finishing third for the tournament. But, uh, If you give him a par there, he runs away, but that's golf. Things happen, and uh, you learn from it, but again, he's a great guy to be around. He's a great guy to learn from, and um, we're thrilled to have him and look forward to him hopefully continuing through the spring. Big week coming up with us hosting the Linger Longer at lake o'conee we look forward to seeing you there
0: yeah well you know it's so interesting about uh about tobias you know most people that say okay where is mercer it's obviously in macon georgia but like where um you know where where did this kid come from and and what else has he won oh by the way he actually represented sweden this past summer at the world am the team won he was obviously with, with aberg and um he won the individual, which is, that's an incredible accomplishment as well. I mean, just an incredible player really want to maybe, I mean, is it possible? He's one of the most unknown players in college golf right now. He,
1: he wins that in Paris. And then he comes over here and gosh, he probably shot like 10 or 1200 in our first tournament and finished like third or fourth. And then he won our second tournament and our third tournament. So for that 45 day stretch he was really playing some of the best golf in the world. Yeah. And um, what was really cool is that since this is my second tour of duty at Mercer, our provost um, is a great guy who played college golf at Erskine, a division two school in South Carolina. And so he's in charge of everything academic at our school. And I told him he's one, he's my best buddy in town. And, uh, you know, we're member, member partners at the club. Sure. And he's a, he's a great dude named Scott Davis. And I told him, I said, Hey, Tobias has got named to the Swedish national team. And he's going to be playing in the Eisenhower trophy in Paris. And Tobias was playing in a professional event the week before. And when that professional event ended, that would be on a Sunday and we started school on a Monday. So I said, Hey Scott, can, can you exempt Tobias from the first, you know, week and a half, two weeks of school. Um, so he doesn't have to fly over here, go to class for two days, fly back to Paris, do the practice rounds for Eisenhower and, play there, then come back. And he said, yeah, sure, let me, let me, you know, talk to the deans and all the professors. And so he was gracious enough to set up some protocols to where Tobias didn't have to come over here and and fly back. And so that kind of helped Tobias prepare a little bit for to play there. And sure enough, he was fortunate enough to win. And uh, what a great thing for, for him and really for our school to have somebody in our program win such a big tournament.
0: Yeah. No, I saw that. I was really happy for him. Such a <laughs> sweetheart of a kid. And actually, it was really now that I think about it. I think I can't remember what was the. I can't remember what term I was. I was at uh, with you guys last, but I just remember getting some random message through. I think the back of the and it was Tobias's mother in Sweden saying, "Can you please send me a picture of Tobias? I haven't seen you know." Uh, can you send it to? And I was like, well, the, the reach of the back of the range and also college golf. I was like, (laughs) that's just so cool. I was like, of course. So.
1: Well, it it shows the importance of of great photography and, and the work that you do and and all these programs do on social media and how that is the, you know, the lens to what people see with what we do. But, you know, here's a funny thing too, is that the captain of the U S team over in Sweden was diana murphy who served as the USJ president a few years ago well i got to know her husband reg murphy um about 20 years 21 22 years ago right around the 2001 walker cup at ocean forest Mm -hmm. and so i when i was coaching at georgia southern we also brought the team down played golf with reg well reg was a mercer university alum okay so When I got the job at Mercer in 03, one of the first calls, I called Reg, and I said, hey, Reg, coaching at Mercer now. He said, well, great, bring the team down. And Reg and I struck up a great friendship. He's been been very very generous to our program. And um, I called him to let him know Tobias was going to be playing in the Eisenhower Trophy. And I said, hey, by the way, let Diana know to, to say hello to him. And what was cool is that you know, the Sweden was paired with the USA in the final round. And so Diana got to walk around and and see Tobias win that where her husband is a Mercer alum, who's also a past UGA or USGA president. And, uh, so it's pretty, pretty neat that connection.
0: Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. There's (laughs) this, this crazy game connects people in, in the most unlikely ways, but that's, uh, that's another great thing about this game of golf. Um, you mentioned a lot of different places that you've been and and let's kind of give the listeners a little bit of an idea so uh, where you've where you started from so graduate of the University of Georgia in 2001 and then you start your coaching career at Georgia Southern the I guess yes. right after you graduate so how did you get into coaching just right out of school
1: I had always um worked coach hacks golf camps in college and, and Larry Mays, who was the, he's now a fundraiser down at Georgia Southern, but he was, had just finished his first year coaching at Georgia Southern in 2000, 2001. And he met me in the summer of 01, asked if I'd come be his, an assistant coaching really wasn't something I'd ever thought I'd be doing. I said, okay, let's do it. Next thing you know, I'm moving to Statesboro, get myself a, 912 area code, cell phone number, and we're off and running. And my first day there, Ben, this is no joke. Larry had inherited a team that was was decent. He inherited a kid that ended up being uh, freshman of the year in the conference, the SOCON in 2001. He also brought in a junior college transfer from Canada in the spring of 01, who just played that spring. And instead of coming back in the fall of 01, he decides he don't want to come back. So my first day there working is the day Larry gets the call from this kid from Canada, says, Hey, I'm not coming back. And Larry's all depressed and and Larry's a great dude and great guy to work for. And I said, Larry, don't worry about it. Hey, we'll find somebody else. He says, You don't understand. We can't just find a guy to average seventy-three, you know, at the drop of a hat. And so we our first tournament of the fall Ben, was on it ended on September eleventh, two thousand one. It was at Mid-Pines, and this team, Larry's, Larry had taken the team his first year all the way to the national championship, okay? So he had a phenomenal first year. It was the first year Georgia Southern had been at the national championship in ages, okay? And it was a story program, but had fallen hard times. So we are in a 15-team field, and we finished 15th out of 15, okay? Brutal, we, brutal. we go through the fall and play a little better, and we bring in a kid from – australia in january since we had the scholarship we bring him in take him to play golf in january he shoots 72 on a hard golf course and larry says what do you think i said he's good i said he's never going to be a first team all-american well he ends up being freshman of the year in the conference and ben we end up going all the way to the national championship at ohio state we start the year finishing 15th out of 15th play really really good at the end of the fall and then phenomenal that spring beat Georgia defending national champion Florida and all those teams at the regional and go all the way to Ohio State for the national championship so it was just amazing the roller coaster of a year and that kid we brought in was Aaron Price who ended up being a two-time first team all-american so it shows you what I know about listening <laughs> talent
0: how do you and and we'll we'll talk about your stint at Georgia and you know, you had great success at Charleston Southern, and now you're back with your second uh, stint at Mercer. You know, you won Big Co- Big South Coach of the Year at J- Charleston Southern. So you've had a tremendous coaching career and, and all these different experiences. But you just brought up something that kind of uh, resonated with me. How do you convince players that may not have the resumes or the past history of success that they can compete on a national level against a Florida or a Georgia. I mean, hey, let's let's use um let's use the next tournament as a perfect example. You're hosting Linger Longer along with Georgia and Kennesaw State. The number one team in the country, Vanderbilt, is coming to play in your tournament. How do you get your guys, and for that matter, how do other teams, you know, get their guys geared up to play against a team that not just Vanderbilt, but other teams that are just, maybe their 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 stats are better, their pedigree's better. How do you convince a, your team that they can compete at that level?
1: Ben, that's obviously what we get paid the big bucks for. But, you know, <laughs> obviously in golf, you know, we're competing against the golf course, right? Now, obviously some guys compete against that golf course better than others, but, you know, it helps our guys having Tobias on the team. So when we're qualifying and playing rounds in town, when these guys beat Tobias, that means they're competing at a high level, right, to beat a player that, that won the individual portion of the world am. But it also helps these guys, if they're from you know, Florida or Georgia or wherever, to play in the state ams or U.S. Open qualifiers to where you're playing against other professionals in a U.S. Open qualifier or amateurs from UCLA or Texas or, or wherever some of the best amateurs in, in the world are, or even Vanderbilt and competing and beat them, and and it's golf. You know, the, hey, that ball doesn't care, you know, how good or how bad you are. Just just add it up at the end, you know, and uh, obviously those guys that are, have been wearing the Vandy uniform for the past five-plus years have had a great run. Those guys have figured it out, and uh, whatever uh, Limbaugh and Gator are telling those guys, we need to start mimicking that because they're doing a phenomenal job.
0: Yeah, I've seen quite a bit of them over the last year or two, and it just seems like they have an endless supply of, of studs that just keep stepping up. And, um, I mean, gosh, this year, William Malls won. Their freshman, Wells Williams, just won in Cabo. Gordon's won. Might be missing someone. Oh, um, I think Riedel won. Yeah, I mean, they just have the, – Didn't the, somebody win down in Jacksonville? Did
1: somebody win in Jacksonville I, maybe? I think that was Gordon that won in Jacksonville. Okay. Yeah. So that's why they're having to build on that facility is because they need bigger trophy (laughs) case.
0: I don't think they're (laughs) going to have trouble funding something like that. I think that's, that's something. So we're talking about actually funding. All right. So you have very interesting, you have a lot of interesting things on your resume. You were assistant coach at Georgia under hack. And I don't know if we have enough time for you to tell all the hack stories, you know, but um, I will ask (laughs) you to at least give me one good one. Talking about, uh, you know, coach, uh, coach, Chris hack, university of Georgia, just, producing national championships and PGA tour players uh, seems like every other year, but um, you were the head of the tee-off club for a couple of years at Georgia. Mm-hmm. This is basically the fundraising arm for the golf program.
1: Yeah. You know, what was interesting is when I came to Athens in 07 to, to make it financially attractive, our booster club agreed to pay me a stipend. And it was a pretty significant stipend that I got once a year. And when um, we started raising a good amount of money, and it went from we were raising, you know, maybe 150 grand a year, and that grew to three, four hundred thousand a year. We had a donor give us a million dollars. So quickly we went from a really small endowment had like 250 thousand dollars in an endowment to. Being able to fund some projects and have a couple million, almost $3 million in an endowment by uh, 2010, 11. But we've got Georgia got a new AD in 2010 named Greg McGarity because Damon Evans, who's now in Maryland, got a DUI on July 1st, 2010. Okay. Well, when Greg McGarity came in, he found out there were two football coaches and myself as a coach were getting a stipend from a booster club. The football coaches were getting a stipend from the Athens Touchdown Club, and I was getting mine from the UJT Off Club, and he said, hey, we've got to end these stipends because it's not institutional control, but hey, we're going to adjust your salary. So he says, hey, we'll adjust your salary on January 1, 2011. Well, he then comes back to us coaches and says, hey, I can't adjust your salary because we're in the middle of a budget constraint. And in fact, all coaches had to take an eight-day furlough that fiscal year. So not only was I going to be faced with taking a significant pay cut, but also a furlough. And so what happened was our booster club said, Hey, we'll pay you what you were going to get paid from salary from Georgia and our stipend just to raise money for us. And that's what I ended up doing in 2011. So that's kind of how I ended up getting transition out of coaching was I was kind of faced with a very significant pay cut and, um, but I think to answer your question, part of my duties there at Georgia was to oversee our tee-off club in 07 while I was coaching from 07 to 11. And it was just the right place at the right time. We – some of the players that were there um, under Hack were having some success. Bubba gets his first tour win, and that was probably 2010, I think, in New Orleans, if I'm remembering right. Um Sounds and guy right. uh, he sort he sourced the number three in the world. He's the highest ranked American in the world. Um, you know, Bub and I, you know, were graduates of the same college. I'm sitting on the alumni board of that college in 2010. We had him come back to an event, it was really cool, but just kind of the right place at the right time. We were able to uh, bank on um, the success that Hack had built there and all these players were getting tour cards and success. Kisner was getting out there on the uh you know, the Corn Ferry nationwide at the time. We brought the nationwide tour into Athens to have an event. So these players are coming back. The Brendan Todds, the Chris Kirks of the world were, sure. were back coming to play as they were making their ascension to the tour. And um it was just kind of uh, the perfect storm.
0: Explain this to me as if I don't already know the answer. I'm coming in, I'm listening to this. What? what, what doesn't a golf team isn't it funded by the athletic department what do they need a booster club for what is all that what is that for so pretend i just don't know anything which that, that shouldn't yeah. be too difficult but just so i'm asking that question like okay how many i mean like how many shirts and bags can you get these guys like okay you know what does that do and maybe the importance of that for a program
1: you know it was what the booster club is used for um was basically enhancing what we were doing but at back when I was there from probably 07 to 11, you know, I'm not looking at UGA's budget or, or any other SEC program's budget right here in front of me, but it is probably light years difference now than even 07 to 11. Um, we didn't even spend most of our budget back then because some of the tournaments we would go to were paid for. You know, We would get um, a donor to fly us to the SEC championship. That same donor would leave two brand new suburbans on the runway we were staying at another donor's house down on sea island during sec so we were able to sit there and raise some money but what the booster club was used for was all these special projects when we needed to redo the range or um pay for a private plane flight or or do something else we were lucky we had this little piggy bank we could go tap and that's kind of what the booster club was used for and then it just kind of morphed into having this excess money that started building into an endowment and led to being able to build onto the UGA, um, golf, the Boyd golf center named after David Boyd, a former letterman at UGA. It was just kind of a nice thing, a nice amenity to have that you knew that if you were going to ask the athlete, you know, to submit something to your budget that, you know, you knew was maybe excessive or something, you at least had an answer and say, well, let's just, Use our booster club for this, and that's kind of what the booster club is used for. And uh, it's it's a nice thing to have. And and before I even got to UGA, we had I had raised a decent amount of money at Mercer as well. But now that I'm back here with alums that have played for me, and even a lot of alums that didn't, um, that to me is the most fulfilling thing. Ben is that being able to when we go to a tournament my phone blows up all day, every day during the round with the amount of alums that are texting me saying, man, you know, Tomas just made three birdies in a row or what happened on hole eight or, I mean, it's like, That's just awesome. it's so cool for, for us to have this very active group of supporters that, you know, are so invested I mean, living and dying with seeing either a red square or a black square on golf stat, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool.
0: Well, it's great that you can reach out to, I mean, it's really vital, it sounds like, for any program, if they really want to be competitive, not just on the golf course, but making sure their current team is is in the right place to succeed. And also, I mean, uh, gosh, it must be an absolute necessity when it comes to recruiting, because you have to show these kids that you're a program on the up and up. And also... You know, not every kid is going to go play for a for a Stanford or a Vanderbilt. And there's so many programs out there. And this is a great opportunity for, for you to be head and shoulders above the
1: rest. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, in in, our, in the sport of golf, you know, it, it's so great that uh, our arenas are these great golf courses. But yeah. We get to take our golf program. And not only is Vanderbilt the number one team in the country coming in to play in an event we're hosting, but hey, we're going to their place in April. You know, we're also going out to play in Stanford's to play against some great West Coast teams with Stanford and USC and UCLA and Washington and and, and all those teams out there. But um, also to have Georgia and Georgia Tech come play in our event with Clemson and Virginia and and a, b- a bunch of other great programs. So it's it's awesome that uh, we get to do that showcase Mercer, showcase our program. And there's no doubt that can get a recruit's attention. And um, with the support of, of alums at a school like ours, we get to go do a lot of other fun things by playing great courses and going great places. I mean, Ben, you, you haven't been to the tournament, but when we go down to Hilton Head and play in Francis Marion's event at Wexford, the house we stay in is I can't even explain to you how nice and big it is. And that is because when I was at Charleston Southern, Ben, we got paired with a guy named Dave Lamasny who had just started playing golf. So because we're Charleston Southern, they pair us with the guy who just started playing golf and another member in a college am. The other member doesn't show up. so the assistant pro plays. And you got this guy who's in his late 60s, just started playing golf. And I'm riding in a cart with them. And I'm not a big fan of college jams sometimes. Right. But yeah. I'm out there talking with the guy. You know, we're hitting it off, having a good time, and very humble, nice guy. And he's telling me, yeah, I was building a house over here on an island. The hurricane came through, sunk my boat, wrecked the house. So I bought a house over here at Wexford. He goes, I'll show it to you on number nine. When you get to number nine, he says, That's my house. I said, Oh, my Lord. I said, What does it cost to air condition that thing? He goes, Well, it's got 19 air conditioners. Okay. So, Ben, <laughs> this house, Ben, I, I can't, I'll have to send you a Zillow link to it. So down. he says, hey, b- bring the team back, and you stay with me next year, okay? Oh and so, I, so we do. We bring the team back. We win the college and the next year. The team wins the tournament, and he's been a great friend of mine ever since. So now Mercer gets to stay in his house. We hang this huge banner we got made off the back of his house, this big 20-foot-by-20-foot windscreen banner, and it's, it's a great week. We go down, we played. Harbor Town the day before, or the day we get to his house, and then we stay there at Wexford. He's got a whole fleet of Club Car golf carts in his garage, oh and we drive all God. week. It, it's just like so. That is is when we talk about the experience that these guys have, and all these programs across the country. It's almost whenever they do go on and have success in their career, or even in professional golf, they look back and like, man we had a really, really good oh, year I, I, I'm, I'm
0: hearing a lot of that, you know, right now we, we, I mean, you and I can go back and forth on, on our thoughts on pro golf and the PGA tour and live and, uh, you know, PGA tour you, there's so many things we could talk about there, but I hear, I'm hearing a lot of these collegiate players, a lot of these amateurs that are saying, man, I mean, I'm turning pro. I mean, that's what I'm going to do, but they're like, man, I, I have it so good at, at amateur golf right now. I'm going to miss college golf. I'm going to miss amateur golf. And they're right. That, I mean, just that story right there, you know that every kid or, or just about every coach in the country right now probably has a similar story that you just shared. There's there's angels all around that are helping college golf, and they're like, I don't want to leave
1: this. We get to go to some great places and meet great people, and, and um, I think that's what, if anything, you know, our guys can – take from you know learning from me is I'm real good at not meeting a stranger and it's just amazing the people you meet at every event and who knows somebody you know and, and what you walk away from and it's just you're always meeting somebody great and um, that just you know for instance, we were over in Sage Valley Tuesday night, okay we're sitting in the locker room having dinner and um, there's two guys in there from New York City who know one of the alums that are with us. And um, one of these guys from New York city is with the Rockefeller financial something. I don't know if it's the family foundation or whatever. Well, they're the ones who put the logo on Keith Mitchell's chest. He has the Rockefeller logo. Okay. So he finds out, I know Keith. And so me and this guy are best of friends now. And, you know, we're sitting there <laughs> talking for an hour and FaceTime Keith in the locker room. And it's just, you know it's amazing how small the world is and how you you can't have your head down you've always got to have your head up and and meeting people and yeah. the opportunities that are always sitting right in front of you
0: that's one thing that really impresses me a lot about these guys in amateur golf they are you know when you think i mean gosh what what were what were we like at 19 20 years old we we don't we don't want to talk about that on a podcast but <laughs> but these kids are they're great and i think that's really been instilled in them by by people like yourself like hey you never know who you're going to meet and the thing that like that they all seem to remember and and know is that all these people would ju- they just want to help and also they would love to be able to hit the golf ball like you do i don't think a lot of the players truly understand that everyone that looks at what they are able to do are insanely jealous and want to be want to help their journey in some way
1: No doubt. I mean, even if it's a, you know, the best basketball player or football player on campus, or, you know, the best country music singer, they all really admire people who play golf at a high level. And you can clearly see the success, these guys, these young guys are having right out of college on the PGA tour, or even playing as amateurs on the PGA tour, how good college golf is and how deep it is. Even the, Five hundredth ranked player in college golf is a super elite player, yeah. and um, the difference between that guy and number one is just not that much. And um, it's just the the envy that people have of people that can play good golf. It, it grabs attention real quick.
0: I feel that we're getting into some very serious philosophical conversations here and topics, and we're going to end that really quickly. So I want you to tell me a little bit about this venture of yours that has uh, grown exponentially and has a really great story behind it. Um, A lot of people are familiar with the football movie Any Given Sunday without Pacino. Okay, we know that. Um, Where did and when did Any Given Tuesday start?
1: Well, you know, Any Given Tuesday was started along with a dear friend of mine, Brady Greger, who's now the associate head coach at South Carolina. He was the head coach at High Point at the time. They were down at a tournament in Naples. I forget the course, but they were, I think, second going into the final round. I think they ended up finishing second. And an alum texted Brady and said, hey, just remember, anything can happen on Any Given Tuesday." still so be joking around said, Hey, that is the name we've always talked about would be a great college golf, Twitter handle, podcast name, whatever. And, uh, you know, high point ended up finishing second in that tournament. So it kind of stuck and, you know, they beat two big 10 teams. I think it was like Ohio state, and Michigan state. So I called him the big 10 champ of the year. <laughs> and, um, so it kind of stuck. So then, and and also not was, to, you know, and not
0: to cut you off, but for people that that may not understand why Tuesday, so typically a college tournament or a lot of them, you have your, um, you have your, your travel day is a Saturday practice round is on a Sunday, 36 holes on a Monday, and then 18 on Tuesday. So that just to kind of yeah. just kind of level Thank that you. for people listening.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ben. And so, um, the pandemic hit that spring of 2020. So, you know, everybody's kind of, held down there in March and so with nothing to do you know Brady and I started those Twitter handles and we were you know throwing guys that were players of the week in March we were throwing their pictures up and they had masks on their face and stuff and it was just (laughs) kind of showing the lighter side of college golf and then you know we get into the fall of 2020 some people are playing some people aren't and then right out of the gate in the spring of 2021 there wasn't a whole lot of events going on. So any given Tuesday hosted an event at Kiowa and it was a lot of teams first event back. And, uh, so we were able to, you know, host an event and we've got a couple good social media things on Instagram and Twitter. And we're always trying to throw something funny out there when we can. And since Monday is usually the 36th whole day, whole day, and you have a uh, box lunch, you know, the box lunch reviews have started to take off this spring, even, Brian Stubbs was over at an event um, this week and he was filming some guys uh, doing a box lunch review. So those seem to really get people chuckling when you get a, a golfer going through their box lunch, hoping that they're not getting an oatmeal raisin cookie instead of a, you know, a chocolate chip and, you know, making sure the bread's nice and soft and the meat to cheese ratios <laughs> as it should be on, on that sandwich. Cause Hey, I'm a 36 hole day. That's important stuff.
0: Okay. So, So not to put you on the spot and not to potentially, uh, well, I guess this will be, we'll we'll go positive instead of negative. Give me one of the best box lunches you've ever seen um, recently in your coaching career.
1: Well, you know, some, you know, a a great box lunch, even this past week at Palmetto, they order in 400 chicken sandwiches from Chick-fil-A. So all it is is just chicken sandwiches all day. So that's great. But um, box lunches, you know, there's a good one at, at Reynolds Lake Oconee that, that's really good, um, but sticking out in time, I, I can't think of one that would maybe. I'm sure I've had some that were just phenomenal, but uh, sometimes personally, I think some of them have overkill. When all you really need is the sandwich, yeah. you don't need sometimes need the fruit. You know, the sandwich you don't need the mustard and the mayo. You don't even need the tomato tomato. Just put meat, cheese, and bread wrap it up, put it, you know, put it in a bag, give it to the players. You know, you know what? even my wife still cusses me out to this day. One year at Charleston Southern, we hosted at Kiowa. And um, the box lunches were going to be so astronomically expensive there that we had to make them ourselves. So I had a staff member like go to Costco and buy tons of turkey and bread and all the stuff to make box lunches. So all my wife and I did all day long on the 36 whole day was make box lunches and you know guys will eat more than one so we had a huge field it was like um 25 teens oh no plus oh yeah so i mean we made box lunches all day and um they were really really good we got a lot got a lot of good positive comments because we used this really good artesian bread that was really key and um really good bread will just make the right impact of uh, impressions. So that's obviously very important for those out there, um, shopping box lunches. I,
0: I think, uh, I, I think you've put a lot of thought into this, which I love. Um, what is, all right. So I'm diving in, there's all these phrases that I just want to make sure I give you the proper, uh, uh runway to kind of, uh, uh, explain. So, um, talk about, a what's a van driver.
1: Yeah. Van driver is, is a golf coach. You know, because at the end of the day, that's, you know, when you you look in the parking lot, you got all the vans lined up, you know, somebody drives it there. And that's, you know, the old ball coach. And um, to me, the best coaches, what they do, they get their team there on Monday, get them ready, get them on the range and let them play. Stay out of their way. These guys know how to play. Just let them go. I mean, you know, if you've got a horse. That's good enough to win the Kentucky Derby. Get him in there, slap him on the rear, and let him run out of the gates. And let him run to the finish line. I mean, sometimes it just kind of pains me sometimes when we've got a lot of great co- coaches out there in college golf. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. you know, hey, when when you know a guy hits it up on the green, he's got a 15 foot putt. Hey, let him go up there and knock it in. You know, he doesn't need me standing over him. You know, I mean, if he asks for my help, I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to give it. But to me, you know, unless you're caddying for the guy or walking all 18 holes, hey, stay out of his way. And so being a van driver is, you know, getting the team ready, getting them there, and uh, turning them loose, you know.
0: Chris uh, Chris Hack from Georgia is the ultimate van driver. Um, him <laughs> and Jim Douglas, who is those two guys, almost every tournament I'm at when Georgia's playing, you don't need to worry about Chris Hack walking down the fairway with a player or Douglas uh, uh lining up a putt. If you need to find those guys, they're in the same golf cart
1: driving around together. Exactly. You know what, you know Hack's kind of superstitious and Douglas is too. So, if the team's playing well, they may not move that golf cart for a few hours. Even <laughs> if there's a tree about to fall on it, they're going to, you know, let it fall on that cart because if they move that cart one inch, that means the team's going to, you know, lose that mojo they got going i did not right. no, i you didn't
0: know. know the sickness was that serious but uh.
1: oh it, it, it is but you know you're right hack does a great job of saying hey we've got good players um i'm gonna let him go play and uh you know he will get out there and march all 18 holes with the guy um and and to you know keep that guy and understand his rhythm and understand his prop, thought process for the day but as, but as far as Cruising that cart all around the course and jumping in and out on a guy—that's not really Hacker or style. Yeah. yeah, I tell you what—it's—it's it's hard to argue with the success. They oh have. no,
0: no, they—they know what the hell they're doing. I—I I always found it fascinating when I'd see a, a coach like walk up to a player. Now, I—I I kind of understand the par threes. Like, look, if you're going to park on a, park yourself in a par three, and you're watching three of your guys come through and hit a six iron, and one of your the next player comes through and he has a four iron. That's a great time for you to say, Hey, just so you know, the last three guys hit six. Okay, I get that. But I've seen coaches walk up to players with like, you know, 112, a wedge in their hand, and they're talking about a wedge. And the pin is, you know, it's not in the bunker, it's on the green somewhere. I mean, it's, it's, and I'm looking at that, I'm like, dude, it's a wedge. Like, let him hit the wedge.
1: Well, and not only that, but just think about this, you know, on a 36 hole day very rarely do do the pins ever move on a 36 hole day where they'll have two holes cut maybe they're moving right. a pin but in the afternoon on a 36 hole day hey these these guys they've already gone around the track once yeah you know if they if they've had to lay it up on that par 5 and they've had 120 now maybe they have 115 in the afternoon or something they've kind of already seen that shot you know so to throw the element of you standing over them could be counterproductive in my opinion
0: this is something that just popped in to my head that I've been meaning to ask a coach on the podcast for a long time. And this would be, I think this would be very valuable for juniors that have not started playing college golf yet, but at some point, how do you get the player comfortable to perform right in front of the coach?
1: You know, I, I, think that, um, hopefully that coach is doing a great job of being consistent in their demeanor and their attitude and their communication, all, all year, or all up, you know, if it's a freshman from the day they've recruited them to they get on campus to now that they're performing, you know, you don't want um, this coach to be all jovial and light. And then when the gun goes off, he's all serious or maybe the team's playing bad and he looks like somebody just ran over his dog or, right. you know, hey, maybe the team starts off. Everybody's a few under par and they're leading the tournament at 10 under through three holes and the coach is running around high five and everybody looks like he won the lottery. Well, those guys kind of feed on that and they get trained to thinking when they look over at coach, if he's not happy, that must mean the other four are playing bad, you know. And so you've got to be do a really good job of being holding your emotions, being consistent, but just being able to, you know, listen to what that player's saying and communicate to them. I think they want to hear success. So, you know, as a coach, my style would be you go out there and, you know, you gave the example of a player having a four iron in or six iron on the par five. And, hey, if the player is pulling that four iron you're talking to him, you know, he might want to, you know, I think great thing to mention is, hey, you know, hey, Ben just came through here. He had, you know, six iron. He hit it up there right on the front of the green, made birdie. You know, that's what these players want to hear. Okay, it's another positive reinforcement of saying, hey, player did X and the outcome was good. Okay, so it's always about good outcome. I'm not going to say, hey, ben, ben had six iron and, man, he – laid the sod over it in the hazard left. Right. right? I'm not, I'm not going to give him that play by play. And, and believe me that, that happens. So, you know, where Hey, he hit three wood and he banked it off the roof of this house over here on the right. So, um, you know, just, just telling them the good things that happen, you know, and uh, trying to uh, make sure we have as little train wrecks as possible.
0: Yeah. Cause I've seen players like it, like, I've, I've had players just by me, me being out there, just doing my thing, just like in a, while they're waiting or they will just mention like, Oh, I don't, I, you know, I never make a putt when coach watches me. Like, how do you break a kid out of that? Like the kid, you know, the, the player makes putts all day long in practice rounds, or he's three under through four and you go check in on him or, and, and then the putter goes cold because he can't, he's thinking that if he misses the putt, he's going to disappoint his coach. How do you break a player
1: out of that? gosh, I, I think, you know, I'm kind of a humor guy. So let's just say, if, if when is that going to start
0: coach? I'm just kidding. You left me when, up, you're, wa- sorry.
1: when you're watching a 36 hole day. And if you haven't seen a player make a putt all day long and he hits it up there, 10 feet, you walk over to him and say, Hey, when you put, I'm going to close my eyes because I know you're going to make it. And I haven't seen you make one all day. And I'm not going to let that streak break. You that's know, so I'm not going to watch that. You know, so something like that, you know, these guys, you know, they're all trying so hard I know, and they're I know. all being so serious. And it's like, man, we've got to take the pressure off everybody. And Hey, this is just golf. We're so fortunate to be doing what we're doing that, uh, go play. And it's almost like, Hey, when you're at home, when you're playing your best golf, right. You've got the Morgan Wallen playing in the cart. You know, you're, you've got, you know, you're hanging one foot out of the cart, having a good time. So, Hey, in our practice rounds, I encourage music. We'll have a little speaker out there playing, playing some music because we're trying to mentally reinforce keeping it as light as possible. Hey, this is just like another round at home and we're going to get paired with a few other guys tomorrow. They're from other schools. But you know what? You've got to keep the mentality of, hey, this is just another round of golf. You're doing what you've been doing all the time. It's no different just because you're dressed in the same outfit as four other guys
0: it's a great point and i've i've always kind of felt that at least on the on the men's side that i've seen there's there's a little bit of a sense that at times it can get a little too serious and look a small percentage are going to try and play professionally and even smaller amount are going to find you know marginal success for a few years and then a fraction of that are actually going to make it uh, to the PGA tour and have have a successful career so the the odds are stacked against these guys tremendously. Why not enjoy the experience of being a, a, a student athlete in college? You get to play college golf for four years, five years. So I'm glad to hear that at least that is uh, your concept and your your thought process when coaching your team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think too that I'll, I'll even you know if 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 an alum shows up and is riding around, or I don't even like to take a car. I like to walk because. um I think if a coach has a cart, they're sometimes too accessible. The player's like, well, you weren't around when I needed you. But if I'm walking, you know, I'm going at the same pace the players are, you know, and I'm not, you know, and I'm not able to zip over and take a shortcut through the neighborhood to get over to this part, you know, but uh, if people show up that like, if if Ben from back of the range showed up and, and he hasn't met you, you haven't met a few of our players. Well, we're in the middle of the round. I'll introduce you. When we're right here on the T. Hey, you know, hey, Trey, meet Ben. Ben, Trey, he's a freshman from Macon, Georgia. Say hello to him. You know, and it just helps lighten the mood, you know? Yeah.
0: No, it's it's a it's a great way to approach it, and I'm sure that it, it, you're building a culture. I mean, and yes, we, everyone talks about building a culture of winning and, we, you know, this and that. But you have to also build a culture where these kids can have fun
1: you're right. But, um, you know, that's just a you know, piece of it. I think, you know, I joke around all the time with coaches that know me real well saying, Hey, there's no doubt we do not have this deal figured out because if we did, our teams would be performing a lot better than they do all the time. And it's just such a tough dynamic to coach college golf. You know, you, you can't call a timeout. You can't all the, if it's not working today, you know, we can't, you know, use our linebackers to blitz or we can't, you know, put the full court press in or, you know, whatever. You've just got to kind of ride it out. You've got to use your communication and your style to, if the round is going bad, to go almost give all the guys a hug in some form or fashion to try to turn it around. And, and, you know, more or less, you know, uh, even this past tournament, you know, our, our moms were, Tobias Johnson made five birdies in a row and our, my alums are texting me and my response back was, well, you know, I'm going to stay far away from him right now. (laughs) And you know, Hey, I'm not going to get blamed for saying, Hey, I went over and and broke that street. You're like, I'm
0: seeing the same thing. I'm at Starbucks right now, but I'm seeing the (laughs) same thing you guys (laughs) are seeing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm getting them a vintage chai tea right now. Great. Yeah.
0: Now that's yeah. I, I'm really glad you're, you're bringing up these points because again, you know, I think a lot of people that follow collegiate golf, they're they're it's it's very serious and and also a lot of the attention is focused on, you know, things like PGA Tour U and how are these guys going to get to the next level and play professionally and there's you know, of course, I mean, just like it is in the PGA Tour, the focus is on the very the the very uh, top guys that are getting ready to make the next move, but there's so many other facets to college golf that. Um, that are great and rewarding. And it's the really the time of these time of their lives they're having actually.
1: Well, you know, I would challenge any college golf coach to look at their team this way. Hey, if you take the team's performance from August through May, June, the national championship, and you compare it to with how they play in the summer, if these guys play phenomenal in the summer and just average in the school year, yeah, maybe they're stressed out with class and the routine and all that. But is the common denominator the environment or the culture they're in? And you want it to be the other way around. You want it to be, hey, from August to May, they're great players. And in the summer, they don't play as good because they're not around each other. And they're not around you, you know.
0: Yeah. No, it's a... That's a great point. Let's talk about this next term. Before I get you out of here, I want to talk about the Linger Longer. This uh, last year was my first time there. It's an exceptional golf course. Uh, great waters out at Reynolds Lake Oconee. I love the golf course. I mean, just very scenic, picturesque. There's elevation changes. Um, you know, it just, it's, a, it's a great facility, great support there. And again, you said you have this really great field. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt's coming, and, and Georgia's one of the co-hosts along with Kennesaw State. What has been your experience running this tournament and where you see it potentially going over the next five years thanks to this partnership with Reynolds?
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, it's been a good run ever since we started in 06. Um, great field, great golf course that is a Jack Nicholas layout along Lake Oconee with numerous holes along the water, a great finishing hole you know, a, a drivable par four in there on 11. The wind's usually blowing in March, as you know, around the country. You can get some, you could get almost freezing cold weather. Or you could get 90 degrees here in Georgia. And uh, it's been a warm spring. Great waters has already greened up to almost full green already. But um, where we see it going is, is, you know, just being a marquee event in the spring in the state of Georgia. You've got the eyes of the golfing world that start kind of getting focused over to this part of of the united states and even georgia come come the end of march through the first of april and it's just an, a great time to play golf in the south and um we hope to always be really a marquee event in in march and have a great field but also invite teams that you know are friends of of us that host the event to where we get to spend time with people we know, and you include them in this great event.
0: Well, I know I'm looking forward to getting back there. I had a blast last year, and um gosh, what a finish last year! Trent Phillips making eagle on 18, basically to close the door and and beat Vanderbilt. I think, gosh,
1: I'm, I, that's one of the rare. That's I think that was the only stroke play loss they took in 2022. Yeah. Wow. Um, was there to linger longer yeah unreal yeah.
0: yeah that was a that was a really exciting finish um i know you're getting your podcast any given tuesday uh back up i know you did a lot i, I love the conversations that you had on twitter i know we were talking about this earlier you're doing these these twitter space uh kind of these i guess uh, basically the equivalent of like a, a conference call on twitter is that fair
1: yeah a conference call radio show maybe yeah. you know we were doing uh We would obviously get Ryan Frazier from Agora Golf was giving us (laughs) weekly updates on on PGA Tour U. Um, We were having, uh, you know, different coaches on. But really what was really, really cool, Ben, is um, sadly with that University of the Southwest in New Mexico, when the tragedy happened with the van crash, is that very quickly – We said, along with Michael Burston, who was a a coach at University of Wisconsin and now does some recruiting and coaching consulting, we said, hey, let's do a GoFundMe. And it ended up being like $110,000, which was the largest gift given to that university for that tragedy. So those were all the coaches and all the people that know about college golf, parents, players, coaches, and sponsors, and even college tournaments were given to that. So it's pretty significant when you see a GoFundMe go over $100,000. And so while it is a bunch of lighthearted humor at times, doing some retweets, saying something funny, you know, about a van or whatever, um, it showed that um, a common theme of getting everybody together, a lot of good can come out of it too.
0: Yeah. What, um, what are some of the things that are like, in the world of college golf, amongst coaches, what's maybe something that's the hot one of the hot topics right now that the the average fan of college golf that really only knows college golf based on like you know whenever the uh, you know the uh, Stevens Cup you know te- whatever's televised on Golf Channel they know that okay so they know a couple regular season events. And maybe they okay. Gordon Sargent got exempted to the Masters, and the national championship will be in the desert. And maybe that's all they know. What are some of the topics that college coaches discuss and debate and talk about right now in the current climate?
1: You know, talking about um, you know where we're headed here in in, in Division One athletics. With you know, it seems we've got more and more events that are kind of having maybe elite-only fields, whether it be the Blessings or the Stevens Cup or you know, that Darius Rucker down there or on the women's side at Long Cove and Hilton Head. And some of the discussions is, hey, the best college events are when you've got a great mix in the field. You've got you know, five elite programs, and then you've got five programs that are just under elite. Then you've got five programs that really have no chance of winning, and that would add to 15 teams. And that's a great mix, you know, because like I said, in golf, hey, we're playing the golf course and um, it doesn't affect. It's not like in college basketball, if you threw out, you know, Duke and they're playing just uh, a a junior college team that was full of five, five dudes and each player went for 40 or more points. Well, that doesn't happen in college golf because you're playing the course and that, you know, and so it really doesn't matter who is in the field. It just matters how good you play against that golf course. So part of the topic is making sure us coaches do a good job of keeping intact some traditional tournaments that have always had a, a mixed field. And, um, that, that's a, that's a hot topic right now.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I, I know that there's kind of, there's a lot of different narratives that, uh, that go into, Success, or there's a lot of topics being discussed. And there's a lot of things that go into a successful college golf program in a season. I mean, we haven't even talked about scheduling. We haven't talked about, I mean, you have to, you know, maybe some people don't know that in order for a, a, a college golf team to be eligible for the postseason, they have to have a better than a 50% win record. So that Correct. that factors into your scheduling. That factors into a lot of things.
1: No doubt, a lot of people don't know that. Hey, we're given 24 days of competition. Right. But when you but when you go to Hawaii, you're allowed to exempt those three days. So if you go to Hawaii, you're technically playing 27 days of competition, and you're also getting more common opponents, which would give you three extra days to get over that 500 winning percentage, or maybe fall under. So we've got some weird nuances in college golf. Is that you know, we're really not even defining a common um, day of competition. It could be five count four. It could be six count four. It could be match play. It could be a one day 18 hole event. You know, we could get 20 teams together and just play 18 holes and that's a tournament. We could play 36 holes and that be a tournament. Or we could play 54 holes and that be a tournament. Or we could play 72 holes. We don't really define what is a tournament, you know? So if you could imagine, Um, you know, in, in college baseball, I don't know what the rule is. They probably have to play like six of the nine innings or seven of the nine innings for it to be, for it to be a game. Well, you know, if we in college golf said you must play 36 holes for it to be a tournament. Well, if you can imagine getting 15 teams together and playing 18 holes, and then a storm moves in and you rain out the round and that stood, stood as a tournament. But can you imagine like a basketball team, you know, the roof leaking in an arena, and they're well. We're not coming out of halftime, but since um, Kentucky was leading Vanderbilt at halftime, we're going to give Kentucky the win. Yeah, you know, and happen. so you know that in college golf, that, that's another big hot topic because we've got to we've got to really think about how we want to define competition. Do we need to at least be thirty six holes? Does it always need to be five count four? Um, you, you know, just to really get everybody on the same playing field, because. If you were a team and you really wanted to skirt the system, you know you could always schedule yourself a few one-day 18-hole events against lesser competition and maybe even pay those teams to come into your town. If you're a Power 5 team and you think you're going to have a down year and you needed to play a strong schedule at times to be able to recruit players, well, you could play two one-day events and invite 14 other teams to come into your town, play 18 holes. And you could pick up, you know, 28 wins real quick by doing so. And that could help you get over 500. You know, unfortunately, when you have a tournament and you have weather move in and if there's a decision to be made, hey, do we shorten this to 36 holes or do we shorten it to 18? It's going to benefit somebody and it's going to hurt somebody. And if somebody is helping make that decision and if it's the host team or host teams and if they stand to benefit you really got to look at yourself and say, Hey, I need to remove myself from this situation or make this decision because that's really not in the spirit of our game. You know, I I know
0: you're the, I'm sorry.
1: You know, I know, I, I know you're the host, but you know, you need to say, Hey, if I am, you know, leading after 18 and rain has moved in and it could benefit my team to rain it out because we can't get playing the next day. And then these other teams need to make a flight or whatever. Um, (laughs) <laughs> it's. I know it's an outside sport and we deal with that, but, uh, you know, that's an
0: I have seen coaches huddle during some weather delays and the jovialness that coaches seem to have at the beginning of the tournament. Hey, great seeing you. Where are you staying? Where'd you travel? And how when'd you get in and where are you having dinner? Yeah. When those conversations start happening around what to do if, when the weather's bad and calling it or suspending. Yeah that all that attitude changes real quick. I, I, I have turned and walked away. I'm like, I don't want any part of this. I don't want to even hear what they're saying. I'm going elsewhere.
1: You're right. You're right. And, uh, (laughs) it's, you know, it's so competitive is that really, you know, I say now is that when you look at a 15 team event or 18, 21, now more than ever, I don't care how strong or how weak the field is. Any of those teams have a chance to win. You know, you you used to be that, hey, maybe there were, you know, a few teams at the bottom that stood no chance. Yeah, hey, you know what, there's always going to be a favorite. and There's always going to be a team that's probably on on odds is going to finish last. But it always doesn't always work out that way. But college golf is so strong. The amount of resources schools are putting into the programs the amount of recruiting and coaching these coaches are doing at all levels, division one, two, three, NAI junior college. Yeah. There's some phenomenal NAI teams out there. There's some unbelievable division two teams out there and just incredibly great players at all those levels.
0: Well, it's what makes this game great. Um, and college golf is stronger than ever and it's exciting to be a part of it and exciting to see where it's going to go uh, over the next, uh, you know, year or two or three. Um, so I, um, so your fellow podcaster, before I let you go, I'm going to let you turn the, I'm going to turn it over to you. What questions do you have for me before, uh, before we call this, uh, before we end this episode?
1: You, you know, looking through for Ben, you know, for you looking through the lens of a camera and being able to promote the game and the stories, how much has college golf changed for the better and maybe not for the better since your playing days to where we are now?
0: my playing days. Good grief. Um, NAIA school, St. Thomas University. Uh, One of your colleagues and a good friend of mine, uh, Dave Pizzino, who's now at UConn, he was my college coach. I have very little frame of reference because what, I mean, we were a small, scrappy team in in Miami Gardens, Florida. Um, Gosh, I remember... I mean, this this was, I mean, the equipment, you had to take care of your own equipment for the most part. I think we got three shirts. No one really matched it with their shorts or shoes. Nothing matched. I mean, you know, just w- whatever you could find. I think we were hitting balls out on an old soccer field on campus. Um, the golf balls were, you know, most, some were round. I know some were round, but I mean... <laughs> wasn't even close to what these what these players have. I mean, you know, it's not uncommon that I mean, you know, player teams they're getting on jets. I mean, a college golf team is going to go to Cabo and play a golf tournament. Uh, you know, college teams are taking weekend trips to warmer climates for for practice uh you know, getaways. I, I I'm amazed at at where college golf is. And it's it's so exciting to be close to it, but oh my gosh, the the there is no comparison, no comparison. It, it was, it's unbelievable what they get to do.
1: No doubt. And I think it's just even the access to courses. I think we as coaches take it for granted and, and even the players that saying, Hey, you know, are we going to go play there this weekend or next week this course? And it's just, you know, how fortunate we are that we're able to get access to some of these places for practice rounds or, you know, sometimes there's money involved to pay for these these rounds. And sometimes the course, there's a relationship with the pro or the GM or an alum or whatever. But it's just amazing the amount of courses these college golfers are playing in competition on the way to competition on regular practice days. It's pretty wild when you when you add it up. I mean, if you were to add up the cost of a greens fee, at all the courses oh, our gosh, team at yeah, Mercer was to play this year it. I mean it's like it's like taking a buddy's trip to Bandon Dunes every week for these guys you know I mean it's just it's just really really great that uh our sport has evolved that much
0: yeah and they are um these kids are phenomenally good it's unreal it's I mean I I think that people that watch you know, I think I said this on a previous episode. Uh, actually, no, I said this on the tie, which is Henry Shimp's podcast. Henry Shimp, uh, you know, won a national yeah. championship with Stanford. And I said, look, I, I was in that, that Jacksonville tournament, the hate. And in one group, you had Gordon Sargent, you had Mateo Fernandez de Oliveira, you had Nick Abrelsek and Cannon Claycomb. They played 36 holes together. They're on the golf course for eight, nine hours, whatever it is. And anyone can go for free and walk with this group. Two are playing in the Masters in a few weeks. Um, Gabrelsic's on the shortlist for the Walker Cup. You know, Cannon's an All-American. And the, the level of play, it's, it's going to be damn near close to what you're seeing on TV. These kids are going to be on TV. So the opportunity to see incredible golf, it's there right now at the college level.
1: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. How close you get to get to them. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's amazing.
0: Well, Coach, we could go for hours and hours, but uh, you need to get ready for the linger longer, and as do I. So I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Um, Hope we can do this again soon. And uh, get your Mercer Bears uh, ready, and uh, I'll see you at uh, Lake Oconee shortly.
1: It's been fun, man.
0: And there you have it. Special thanks to Coach Payne for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The website is thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at The Back of the Range.